Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Think for a moment now about the people in your world. What do they think of your commitment to them? How would you rate your faithfulness? Does your loyalty ever waver? Do you have one person with whom your contract is non-negotiable? Once, two friends were fighting together in a war. The combat was ferocious, and many lives were being taken. When one of the two young soldiers was injured and could not get back to the trenches, the other went out to get him against his officer's orders. He returned, mortally wounded, and his friend, whom he had carried back, was dead. The officer looked at the dying soldier, shook his head, and said, It wasn't worth it. The young boy, overhearing the remark, smiled and said, But it was worth it, sir, because when I got to him, he said, Jim, I knew you'd come. Make the most of your relationships. Follow the advice of Benjamin Franklin. Be slow in choosing friends and be even slower in leaving them. It is here in the Archbishop's Corner where Archbishop Leonard Blair leads us to the knowledge that will help us make the most of our relationships. Yes, with one another and also with God. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for leading us into the Archbishop's Corner to show us the way into a closer relationship with God and with one another. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Well, I have a surprise for you, because today is World Radio Day, a global observance celebrating radio. Why we I'm love overwhelmed. It. I'm overwhelmed. I thought you would be. Why we love radio, why we need it today more than ever. Radio touches lives, brings people together. How appropriate, then, on World Radio Day that we bring people together around the Archbishop's Corner, huh? Well, aren't you nice? Yes, thank you. I'm happy to have this opportunity to be able to reach out to people. Well, I wonder how many bishops um, throughout the country have an opportunity to do a radio program every single week, you know? I don't think too many, although, you know, there are opportunities on different occasions, different ways, but uh, this is somewhat unique, I think. Well, unique maybe is too strong a word nowadays, but uh, it's not... Uh, all that common. It, it's a great tool for evangelization, and it's a great tool to bring you, your message, directly in contact with the, the people of the Archdiocese of Hartford, those that you shepherd, huh? Well, anything that can be at the service of the gospel and reach people is for the good. And as you pointed out in past programs, I'm sure that, you know, Marconi and the radio the, the the Vatican radio was uh, uh, designed by Marconi himself yeah, originally yeah. because, uh, uh, you know, it was a very big thing even for the church right away. Vatican radio, absolutely. Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday today, and the country's getting ready for the showdown between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. If the Rams win, they will join the 2020 Buccaneers as the only teams to play a Super Bowl inside their home stadium. But honestly, I think most people look forward to the commercials and the snacks and the parties. 
Tell me, are you planning to watch the game today? Yes, I, I, I'm going to watch part of it, certainly. Um, and well, it is, it is a, a big national event for, well, for many people, not everybody. Well, you've certainly got to be rooting for Cincinnati. I mean, after all, Cincinnati is only 200 miles from Toledo, where you were the bishop for, what, 10 years? Yes, but uh, we didn't have all that much tie to Cincinnati itself. Uh, I think I'm going to be pretty neutral about this one. Okay. And tomorrow is Valentine's Day. It's the most celebrated day of Christian martyrs ever. But most people forget that aspect and focus only on love and romance for the holiday. We know that February has long been celebrated as a month of romance and that St. Valentine's Day, as we know it today, contains vestiges of both Christian and ancient Roman tradition. But who was St. Valentine? Well, I don't think we know too much about Valentine in, in detail other than that uh, an early Christian martyr that's recorded in the various sources we have. And not only the sources, but the uh, veneration that was made uh, by Christians to these martyrs that entered into the liturgy and sometimes into the geography of uh, given places, and uh, that's the origin. Well, I, I heard that there were two Valentines, and that's part of why the confusion about who St. Valentine really was, because there were two Christian martyrs of the same name, one who was a priest, physician, and the other one who was the Bishop of Terni in Italy, and both were beheaded. How we get romance and love from the Feast of St. Valentine, well, I suppose that's a question for the great historians of all time, huh? Well, I think it has to do with customs that arose on their feast days for, for various reasons. Yeah. On Thursday, we celebrate National Random Acts of Kindness Day. It's a day celebrated by individuals and groups, organizations nationwide to encourage acts of kindness. The movement of random acts of kindness inspires people to get out there and to be the light that they wish to see in the world. Any suggestions on spreading kindness in our communities for Thursday, Archbishop? Well, we're used to hearing the phrase random acts of violence, so it's good instead uh -huh. that we hear random acts of kindness. Well, I think each of us has to, um, in his or her own way, try to be attentive to people and circumstances around us and try to be helpful you know, and try to help people out, not just on that day, but all the time. I think we all have a tendency to kind of brush off things, you know, we have a way of kind of closing our eyes and ears to certain things because we don't want to be bothered, or we're not sure whether it's really authentic or, you know, a real need. But I think we should move in favor of the authenticity of people's needs rather than being suspect of them and help where we can. The need is probably greatest now, uh, after we've been going through such a long pandemic. People's nerves are on edge. People are, are tired of this pandemic. I think sometimes we see examples of people taking it out on, on one another because uh, of the frustration that they've experienced during this pandemic. Haven't you seen that? Well, I think the biggest sign, perhaps, of it is the increased in, in uh, serious traffic accidents. People are just getting kind of crazy, you know. Yeah. Um, we have to, and I think it is because partly their nerves are on edge or they, they're stressed out because of a lot of pandemic things. But, and, and it could be, too, that it's partly that there's 
there has been less traffic sometimes and people have more space to, to drive in a in a reckless way. But it's very disturbing, you know, when you hear about how these traffic things or traffic accidents, serious ones, are increasing. We all need to act responsibly. And maybe that's a good place to start a random act of kindness on the road as you're driving, huh? Friday, we celebrate what's called National Caregivers Day, a day to honor the people who dedicate their time to provide services to those requiring long-term or hospice care, a day to show appreciation for the quality, the compassionate care that they give every day. If someone wanted to find assistance with finding a compassionate caregiver or a qualified nursing home facility, where can someone turn in the Archdiocese of Hartford Archbishop? Well, I should think that uh, that would be uh, to Catholic Charities, uh, or also one could turn to uh, St. Francis Hospital, you know, or St. Mary's Hospital Mm -hmm. um, in the Catholic healthcare system to see what they might be able to to find. I know that some of our sisters, I know the Franciscan Sisters of the Eucharist and uh, perhaps the Sisters of the Sacred Heart might have some recommendations to make along those lines. But I know, I, th- I think the Franciscan Sisters of the Eucharist more so uh, in that regard. Archbishop, what have you been doing lately? How have you been spending your time? I've been working hard. No, seriously. I, I mean, obviously, the, the normal uh, course of, of events and things that are part of the ministry. But I had a very nice experience, a very encouraging experience. Last weekend, I went to a meeting, a gathering of the group called Focus uh, on University Campuses that was hosted in New Britain by Father Michael Casey at his parish because he's the the chaplain there for uh, at that particular uh, place. But these young people, about, uh, I think there were about 300 of them, came from around New England and some from New York uh, they're all part of these focus teams, uh-huh. and this is an organization that is devoted to young Catholics actually on, uh, exercising a, a campus ministry kind of role uh, among their peers uh, at, uh, at the universities uh, to bring uh, them together in the practice and knowledge and appreciation of their faith. So we had a, a very nice Mass in the parish church, and then I had a Q&A with them in the uh, school, uh, former school auditorium. Uh, and uh, I have to say it, it was just so uplifting and encouraging to me to see all of these young, enthusiastic, devoted, practicing uh, Catholic men and women. And I think they're doing a great job. These young college university students are bringing faith into the college, into the university, and in striking the fire that lights up faith for for young college students, right? Yes, and, you know, Focus was, uh, they already were active at UConn, which is in the Diocese of Norwich. I mm-hmm. was invited some years ago uh, to, to celebrate Mass for them and meet with them there, and that was a very positive thing. And now to have this here right within our own archdiocese is a really wonderful thing. And I might add that, as chance would have it, that very weekend, uh, Bishop uh, Betancourt also went to Quinnipiac, um, and he, uh, I think he said there were 60 young people who came that he had mass with and met with, and he had a similarly very positive uh, experience. 
So, you know, the faith is alive in the hearts of many, even though we're surrounded by a lot of indifference and, and non-practice of the faith. But those whose hearts are stirred by the Holy Spirit to respond and to become, you know, what Pope Francis and his predecessors have called missionary disciples, that's what these young people are doing, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, what were the young people interested? You, you mentioned that there was a Q&A that, that you had with them. Do you remember anything that they were specifically interested in knowing from you? I had mentioned in the homily, you know, the gospel that day was about the call of Peter, uh, St. Peter, you know, from the, with the fishing nets and the catch of fish. And Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus had said, uh, go out into the deep and make a catch of fish. And, of course, the idea was that we, he would be eventually not catching fish, but men, people, for, for Christ. And I, this led to my mentioning, you know, Pope John Paul at the Millennium, issuing that uh, rousing challenge in Latin, Duke in Altum, go out into the deep uh, for a catch for Christ. So they asked me uh, about that, and they asked me to share some stories with them of my experiences in Rome with Pope St. John Paul, which I was very happy to do. Uh, they asked about some of the issues that um, you know are confronting our society today and, and about uh, going out there and being an evangelizer for Christ. But I really, it's tremendously encouraging because uh, they're very committed, they believe, and, and not only that, but they want to bring others to practice the Catholic faith. They want others to, to grow in love for Christ. Did you ask perhaps their advice as to what more can an archbishop do to inspire young people to be part of an active church today? Well, no, there was really, that wasn't part of the, the, uh, the program. But I can tell you right now that having been uh, for many years on the U.S. Bishops Committee on Catechesis and Evangelization, mm-hmm. the founder of Focus, uh, Curtis Martin, was one of our consultants who met with the bishops at these meetings. And so I had a lot of direct contact with him. And in those meetings, people like Curtis Martin and others, uh, really wonderful uh, lay people who, are, who have given themselves to, to promoting the faith and organizing these things, they shared with us, you know, their, uh, the kinds of things we needed to do. And, and I think one of the things that they would uh, say is that we need to be, that we need to be bold, that we need, and we need to challenge young people. We mm-hmm. should not think that somehow they are not interested or... Uh, that they're not willing, because they are, if they receive the right kind of guidance and the right kind of challenge. Curtis Martin has done a very good thing with Focus. I mean, this is a huge movement in the country. There are thousands of people involved. They always have a big national get-together, which I promised to go to, but because of COVID, it was postponed. In fact, that's part of why we had the meeting here. This was regional, because they weren't able to get together nationally. But I understand uh, that uh, this coming uh, summer they are going to gather in St. Louis for a national meeting, and I promise them that if I can go, I will certainly go, beautiful, because this beautiful. is the kind of thing we need to encourage. I wanted to say that, you know, that sometimes we might get discouraged about the practice of the faith and where young people are headed, but there are a lot of very fine things that are happening as well. Uh, so the Lord is at work, the Holy Spirit is at work. Good to hear. Let's take a look at our Gospel reading on this sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 13th day of February. Today's readings from Luke's Gospel, the sixth chapter, and after the Gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts. And he came down with them. (coughs) 
and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you that are full now, for you shall hunger. Woe to you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Archbishop, talk to us about what this gospel suggests to you. It is the Magna Carta of uh, the gospel, and it is the, it is the map to heaven. You know, if we if we recognize that, uh, then we will we will we can have the criteria by which to judge what our life is like and where we're headed. You know, it is also tells us that the the way to heaven is the way of the cross, mm-hmm. because uh, Jesus does not talk about uh, acceptance and uh, worldly happiness and uh, a peaceful and contented life. Obviously, if we have those things, those are blessings. But uh, those who are truly blessed are those who are suffering and those who who are carrying their cross. And especially here is the the situation of uh, those who are persecuted for holding fast to Christ and his church and the faith of the church, that you are truly blessed. As he says, when people hate you and exclude you and insult you and denounce you, all because of him then great is your reward in heaven. Uh, and, and, when speak, and, and woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. So there's a certain uh, element here uh, that we have to examine our, our conscience about, you know. If we, if we uh, live our lives in such a way that we offend no one and we challenge no one and no one has any clue that we are witnessing to the call to conversion from sin, then things may be very serene for us, but it doesn't mean that that we're on the way to heaven. Always a price to be paid for following Christ. Are we looking for balance here? I mean, because it's obvious that here we are striving for wealth, for enough food to eat, for happiness, for good reputation, and Jesus comes along and says, Woe to you, rich. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when all speak well of you. Woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Why? Why turn everything that we strive for now upside down on its head? Well, I don't think it's a question of of repudiating uh, what we strive for. I think it is more about uh, balance, that uh, what Jesus is basically saying is that there's the way of the world, 
and there is the way of of God. Uh, St. Augustine so famously said, there is the city of God and there's the city of man. And the two are opposed. And they are opposed because what the, the world has us, to be a worldly person in a bad sense means that we uh, strive uh, in a selfish way to to uh, achieve material success and material fame and all of these things. And if they come our way, they're not necessarily evil in this, themselves by any means. We can do a lot of good in those things. But when that becomes the object, instead of the love of God and neighbor, instead of if we sacrifice on the altar of ambition or worldly success or material comfort, if we sacrifice... Uh, faith and self-denial and repentance for our sins, then we're in big trouble. In other words, what, is it, what does the Scripture say? If we live, I think it was St. Paul says, if we live for this world only, we are the most pitiable of people. And let's face it, that's what a lot of people are tempted to do now, is to live for this world only. Uh, you know, again, Pope Benedict said on his letter in Christian Hope, have we reached a point where people don't even hope for anything beyond death because they're just happy to have, uh, they want us to strive to have happiness in this happiness in this life. And, uh, I mean, I think there's a great indifference uh, to uh, eternal life on the part of many people. They have a vague notion that, well, whatever it is, you know, things are going to be just fine, I suppose. But that's not what the gospel says. Jesus is always calling us to conversion in a sinful world, to conversion. And so the gospel is calling upon us to look beyond the here and now to the afterlife, of course. Yes, the gospel calls us to renounce the world. And it doesn't mean that we all call to be cloistered nuns or, or, or monks or something. Renunciation of the world means that we live a life of charity and justice here. We strive to do good to others, but we do it by the standard not of the things of this world, but by a much higher standard and by something that, that remains forever, and that is God. And, you know, to put it very starkly, I think in our heart of hearts, we all know that we could we could be the richest person in the world and still be utterly miserable mm-hmm. because the riches and material things can never fill the human heart. And, you know, we could be number one king of the universe, at least the the one we see, and be miserable because that's not why we were made or what we were called to. So it's not saying that, that we all have to join, you know, the cloistered order, but it, it is saying that we are we are in the world but not of the world. And the things we do even for the improvement of this world are not f- for that alone, but they are for uh, for charity, for the love of God and, and neighbor, and self, because love your neighbor as yourself. We're not called to, to hate uh, ourselves. We're called to to hate sin, and we're called to renounce ourselves for the sake of being filled up by uh, the love of God. So these are all very you know profound uh, questions that have to do with uh, the meaning of life and also the meaning of death and judgment and where we're headed. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Maureen from Goshen has a great question, especially for Super Bowl Sunday. In a series of surveys between 2013 and 2017, between 22 and 27 percent of U.S. respondents said they agreed with the proposition that God plays a role in determining which team wins a sporting event. What do you think, Archbishop? 
Do you think God is rooting for a specific team in the Super Bowl this year? Is it okay to pray for your favorite sports team's success? Well, Maureen, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that, that God is rooting for any specific team. God is rooting for each and every person, and he's certainly rooting for us as a human family. Uh, he's rooting for us to, to make the right choices in life and to, to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Uh, I, I think everything that happens happens within the providence of God, and that that would include you know participation in sports. But I think God's providence is far more subtle and far more profound than than just who's going to score the winning touchdown. But it's okay. Uh, it's okay to pray for your favorite sports team, though. Well, I suppose so, <laughs> I, as long as one doesn't make that somehow think that that's the most important prayer that a person can offer, uh, you know. Cindy from Farmington has a question for you. Cindy says, while at breakfast with friends the other day, we started to discuss what we most like about going to church. Our answers ranged from closeness to God, music, prayer, fellowship, and being part of a bigger picture. How would you answer that question? Well, I think all of those things, you know, we are body and soul, as human beings, and um, mind and heart, it's a both and. So I think being in church, divine worship, the experience, there's just so many aspects of it. You know, being together, something that certainly we're, we've lost a bit during uh, the pandemic and that we need to revive very much of the importance of being together as a family of faith, communion with one another in the church and with Christ. And then, of course, uh, God asks us to, to offer our very best to him. So whether it's art or music, architecture, uh, you know, we, we, it, it's important to have things that can lift up our, you know, minds and hearts to God. I mean, on the battlefield, if a priest is saying mass on the back of a tank, it's as very much in that circumstance something of great value and, and it has its place or whether it's in, you know, St. Peter's Basilica at the high altar in a beautiful setting or some other beautiful church. Same thing with music. You know, if, to the extent that whatever lifts our minds and hearts to God, whatever confirms our faith uh, and, our, and our prayer and our union and desire for Christ in a given moment, all of that comes together. Uh, and I think it depends on the circumstances. There may be times when very different kinds of experiences of Mass or church might be appropriate for that moment and might be necessary for that moment, and that might move our mind and heart. So that's the way life is, and we, we're looking to honor and, and worship God in whatever circumstance we can, or that we, we, we find ourselves, but to doing it in a way worthy of God. Julia from Hamden says, Over and over in the Bible, God tells us to rest in Him. When I'm going through trials of various sorts, or even in good times, I don't exactly know what it means to rest in Jesus. I'm a naturally anxious person, so I need to learn. How can I rest in God? Well, anxiety uh, is, Julia, is, uh, uh, you know, it's been said that we, we live in a, an age of anxiety. But, of course, anxiety is part of the human condition in every, in every age. Uh, resting in God, 
doesn't necessarily mean that we we can totally overcome our anxiety, but resting in God means that we turn to God, we turn to Jesus in that anxiety, and try try through prayerfully and meditatively uh, to uh, find a certain measure of peace and serenity in that. And that, I mean, that's the power of prayer. That's the power of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. That's the power of living a life of faith. Uh, every person's mental state and personality is such. Some, some people are just more anxious than others. Whatever it might be, we keep striving to come close to Christ in a way that can alleviate that and can can bring us closer to him. To the, you know, he says that uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace do I give it to you. To find that gift of peace and of joy as well that Christ talked about at the Last Supper so that we're not overcome by anxiety. We can't always or ever get rid of anxiety, but we certainly can we can find relief from it uh, through, through, through our faith. Archbishop, as we come to the close of our program, maybe through prayer and a blessing you can bring us some of that peace. Lord Jesus Christ, you said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and the faith of each one of us as we strive every day to come closer to you and to do your holy will, as we strive to live the Beatitudes, as we strive to turn away from uh, worldliness and to embrace the road that may be narrow and rough, the way of the cross, but it is the road that leads to life and peace and joy. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. And until then, we wish you well this week. Don't work too hard. Thank you. 